All right, my friends, this is the Midweeks, and we're going to be in 2 Samuel 15, and this is a big chapter. Uh, it's, it's horrible. You know, this book often does cover horrible events, and we're covering a, a coup, an attempted coup of a son against his father. And in the big picture here, again, we're looking at many things. We're looking at the theme of the book that I presented, which is God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And we will see how Absalom's pride is his downfall. We also see God's ways with the new kingship. Remember, the kingship was birthed in unbelief, even though God had prophesied there would be a king. Even back at the end of Genesis, the kingship was birthed in unbelief. But David was provided as a faithful king. And given this promise that one of his children would sit on the throne of Israel forever. And then here we have this major catastrophe which, in which the eldest son is now going to attempt to take the throne by force and by regicide by, and fratricide. Which means killing your dad who's the king. And so this is not the way the kingdom of God is meant to work. And so <clears throat> it's this big uh, civil crisis. And it's a family crisis, and it's a theological crisis, what's happening here. However, this is all under the hand of God, and we know that Nathan has prophesied the severe discipline for David because of what he did with Bathsheba. And this is part of the outworking of it. And so it is also a demonstration of human will, uh, both in faith, as David's going to pray later on, and in unbelief, through Absalom's actions, uh, being woven together with God's predestined plan and prophesied plan as well as his covenants being tested his promises being tested by the behavior of his covenant people and this is just real life as well so we are going to jump into this as you remember from last chapter Absalom's been brought back from exile and he has been visibly or at least publicly reconciled to the king but they are not uh, reconciled in the heart and we're going to see that by Absalom's actions so starting in verse 1, after this Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him, which is a sign of like kingly might. Verse 2, and Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, from what city are you? And when he said, your servant is from such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right, but there's no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come near to me, and I would give him justice. Whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So with this activity of Absalom, it's... It makes me really think that Absalom, when he came back from uh, the land of the Phil Philistines, or wherever he was, excuse me, I'm having a bit of a brain slip, and when he wanted to be reconciled to the king, it wasn't because he longed to be in good relationship, because he starts implementing this plan to destabilize his father's throne. And he presents himself as a royal person with this chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And he gets up early, so he's busy about it. This isn't an accident. And he goes before the king and he intercepts people who would come for judgment. Now, remember the last scene where 
not the last scene, but a few scenes ago where the woman came to the king for justice and she said, oh, I've got my two sons and it was this trap to try to bring Absalom back. So there's this connection here where Absalom is now undercutting that role that David played. And perhaps David's um, justice courts were being a little bit mishandled. It's possible that there wasn't anybody there, but what it really looks like is that Absalom is interfering with people coming to the king and he is slandering the his father by claiming that he's not doing a good job and he isn't ready to receive people and he's setting himself up as the future king oh that i were he he, he gives his like initial judgment somebody says i've got this issue and he says oh yeah you're right and i would side with you if only i could you know he's trying to win people he's trying to persuade people he's trying to uh, deceive people into uh, putting their trust in him and the bible does say that he stole the hearts of the men of israel and you do wonder like what was david doing during all this time probably they saw him out there probably people were coming and telling david this no good nick is up to bet trouble uh, but we don't know all we really know is that absalom was persistently doing party politics and setting himself up as the next king verse 7 at the end of four years absalom said to the king please let me go and pay my vow which i vowed to the lord in hebron so this wasn't just something he was doing for a few weeks or a few months this was four years of steady labor intercepting people before the the throne of david and doing the shtick where he um treats them as their equals and honors the people but he's not his heart isn't in it he's up to a ploy and you can see the deceptiveness of absalom in that he's setting up this whole crowning thing that's coming down the pipe but he sets it up as something where he's made a vow to the lord to go and do this so now he has broken is it the fourth commandment you shall not take the lord's name in vain this is what he's doing here. He's absolutely taking the Lord's name in vain because he hasn't bowed a vow that that is about faith in the Lord or faithfulness to the Lord. This is a setup to start the coup. Verse 8, For the servant vowed a vow while he was in Geshur in Aram, saying, If the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. So this seems like such a setup because why would he be, have waited for like, was it six years altogether now? He's waited a number of years in order to quote unquote fulfill this vow but it does again make me think about what was he doing in Gesher when he was waiting to be brought back while he was plotting and this is probably just a fulfillment of the plots that he was plotting when he was in Gesher in Aram sorry he wasn't in Philistines he was in Aram the king said to him go in peace so he arose and went to Hebron but Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. With Absalom went two hundred men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from the city of Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. So, here's this thing. There's a bit of a, uh, a connection here because David is about to be driven into exile because his son is declared king in Hebron. Now, if you remember back at the, you know, two thirds of the way through first Samuel, David is exiled in the lands of the Philistines. And when he's welcomed back, he is crowned king in Hebron. So this is a key city for 
um, the beginning of David's dynasty. So it's no mistake that Absalom is going to that same city that his father was first crowned king in to have himself declared king. And he's summoning these people whose hearts he's won. He brought this delegation from Jerusalem who were invited along, but they didn't really know what was going on, but they probably are going to get swept up with the crowd here. And then there's this, in verse 12, there's this interesting note about Ahithophel being invited into this whole thing. And they don't hit you over the head with it, but if you read through to the end of the book, what you find out is that Ahithophel is the father of a man named Iliam. Iliam is one of David's mighty men, one of his 30, one of his elite bodyguard, and Iliam had a daughter named Bathsheba, who was married to Uriah. And so this is Ahithophel's grandfather, direct grandfather. And so very likely Absalom is appealing to this person who's David's counselor and a super wise guy and in the inner circle of David's counseling court, he's appealing to him and very likely Ahithophel's unforgiveness for what David did with Bathsheba and having Ahithophel's grandson-in-law put to death and disgracing his daughter and, and worse. So you only find that at the late end of the book, but right now it's like, why did he? Oh, because Ahithophel is a very important man in the kingdom who has a lot of reason to turn against David. And what we're told is that this conspiracy is growing stronger and stronger. Verse 13, and a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all of his servants who are with him at Jerusalem, arise, let us flee or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servant said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out with all his household, and the king left ten concubines to keep the house, and the king went out, and all his people after him, and they halted at the last house. All right, so David hears about this conspiracy arising, Obviously, David must have had some kind of suspicion or something because he believes the message right away, right? Um, he doesn't think Absalom would never do this or you must be lying. He actually believes it. So there's probably a part of him who's, who's seen this, that's seen him this coming for a bit, and he's ready to flee. And I'm not sure what all the reasons are. You know, it is good military craft to not get stuck inside of a walled city. Walled cities are great for um, not being overrun by an army immediately, but they're also great for getting starved to death in. And so David might just be thinking like, let's get out of here before we're trapped um, because he, he doesn't have his army put together. He doesn't have his men put together. He, he needs time to uh, organize his defense against Absalom. So he thinks maybe he's just thinking like our, our best bet is to get out of here now and then to figure out what we're going to do next then. I'm guessing that's that. But, and so I really like that line where he says he'll bring ruin on us and strike the city. So there even may be part of David who is not wanting to make all of Jerusalem suffer through what's about to happen. And so he says to his household, it's time to flee. And his servants say, we're going to go with you. So he does have lots of people loyal with him. He leaves behind 10 concubines. I really don't know why he did that. And it's just going to expose them for to the sin and um, disgrace and assault that Absalom is going to do upon them. 
but that will also fulfill uh, prophecy that the Lord had said about David when he rebuked him about Bathsheba. He said that what David did in secret is going to happen back to him in the daylight. But there you get the setup line that David had left some concubines behind. And all his servants, verse 18, all his servants passed by him and all the Cherethites and all the Pelethites and all the 600 Gittites who followed him from Gath passed on before the king. So when David, again, this is connection with the time of Hebron. Before David came to Hebron, he was in Ziklag. Excuse me. And while he was in Ziklag, people joined to him, Cherethites and Pelethites and Gittites. And these are not Israelites. As far as I understand it, these are people from around Ziklag who, I guess, joined David's forces around that time and have been following him and faithful to him his entire kingship, essentially. Verse 19, Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wander about with us, since I do not know where? Go back and take your brothers with you, and may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. Now, this is interesting. I'm just reading this, and I could be wrong. David may be right that Ittai the Gittite is uh, fairly fresh coming to be with the king, but you will see when you go back into 1 Samuel that the Cherethites and the Pelethites and the Gittites are all named as kind of being around David around that time when he's in Ziklag. So I'm not totally sure what's going on here, but what we are going to see here is just um, Hesed being shown to the king through these foreigners. And again, this does connect with a theology in the Old Testament that a faithful uh, pagan is better than a faithless uh, Israelite. Because Absalom is the blood son of the king trying to destroy, destroy the king. Even David calls him stay with the king. You know, he calls him this king as he's leading this revolt. But these foreigners are going to be faithful to David even when many Israelites aren't. And so we have this thing. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. These foreign people are humbling themselves and staying loyal to the king. And David is, and God is going to be with them. And God is going to be against proud Israelites who side with the conspiracy. Verse 21. But Ittai answered the king, As the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king shall be, whether for life or for death, there also will your servant be. And that reminds us of Ruth's chesed loyal declaration to Naomi. And Ruth is the descent one of the ancestors of David. And David said to Ittai, Go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. And all the land wept aloud as the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kitron, and all the people passed on towards the wilderness. So it is another civil war, because many of the people are so sad to see David go, and their hearts are loyal to him. So when it says all Israel goes after uh, Absalom, technically it probably meant people from throughout Israel. But in this area of Judah, um, people are sad to see the king going. And they're probably also worried for themselves too. Civil war wrecks life for everybody. Verse 24. And Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. So this connects us with David bringing the Ark into the city and dancing before the Ark and Uzzah being killed. And now a couple of the priests are carrying the ark with the Levites. They're going to go with the king. Um, and this is almost 
kind of messianic because David had set up uh, the tabernacle in the city and here the Levites saying it's better that the presence of God go with the Messiah than to stay in the tabernacle. The presence of God should ought to go with the king. The king carries the presence of God and that is totally fulfilled in Jesus who is both the king of Israel and the very presence of God on the earth and the sender of this Holy Spirit who is the presence of God to the church now. Um, but David has different plans for it. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me as what seems good to him. Okay, so here we begin to see Dave's, David's faith arise a bit. He commanded the people out of the city, which may have just been strategic. But now he's going to, he's addressing the Lord and he wants to leave behind the ark almost like an anchor and saying like if the lord finds is pleased with me if he forgives me if he's with me i will return to the ark not take the ark with me if he's not pleased with me then I, there's nothing i can do but if he's pleased with me i'm going to return to the ark so this is an act of faith and we begin to see faith coming out of david again it seems like it's been a long time since david has acted with faith and here we go this crisis David is beginning to rise to it in his heart. Verse 27, the king also said to Zadok the priest, sorry, I'm just going to stop there. That also does remind me a little bit of Eli. Remember when Eli's rebuked about his two sons, he says, it's the Lord, may he do whatever uh, pleases him. Um, this echoes it a little bit, except this shows David having faith that the Lord may do something great involving the ark instead of what happened to Eli where the ark was lost because Eli didn't deal with his sons. But we do have this same similar theme of fathers and sons. Eli didn't confront his sons and they lost the ark because of their sin. And David didn't really confront his son Absalom about what he was doing. And now the ark is lost to David for a little bit. But what's different between Eli and David is that um, David, for the sake of the covenant with David, God is going to uphold David. And so this is really also an exposure of grace. It's not that David was necessarily a better man. He did worse than Eli. But because of the promise of God and the grace of God on, on David, uh, David will be restored. Verse 27, the king also said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Ahimaaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. And see, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. So he sends these people back, kind of as spies. Verse 30, but David went up to the ascent of the Mount of Olives, which is where Jesus went in his time of crisis, right? When he was about to be betrayed. Weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head co covered, so he's in mourning. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And so here we see David praying. It feels like it's been a long time since we've had David praying. But now David is praying. He's humbled. He's got his hope that he'll return to the ark, and now he begins to pray, and this prayer is answered. And while David was coming to the summit where God was where God was worshipped, okay, so they've got this little this little point here. 
which is this where it says this little phrase where God was worshipped, which is a good thing. David's coming in humility. David's coming in faith. David's coming in prayer. And now it says he's coming to the summit where God is worshipped. And now David is going to have the hand of the Lord intercede for him. Behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. So Hushai is God's response to David's humility and his hope and his prayers. And David said to him, If you go on with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the king and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as you've as I have been your father's servant in time past, so now I will be your servant. Then you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. Are not Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there? So whatever you hear from the king's house, tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, their two sons are with them there, Ahimaaz, sorry, Ahimaaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send to me everything you hear. So Hushai... David's friend came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. So this is a really cool moment, this intervention of God, not through a miracle, not through an angel, not through uh, a sword, but through, again, an archite, which I don't think is an Israelite, and a man who's David's friend. So a wise man from outside Israel who loves the king is God's answer to this desperate prayer that Ahithophel's council would be crushed because essentially if Ahithophel is allowed to do his thing David knows he's toast Ahithophel excuse me is just too smart and too wise and too shrewd to not win and so he says oh God save us from Ahithophel and Hushai arrives Hushai who's ready to show David faith friendship faithfulness loyalty and also willing to risk his life to go back to um Absalom and so David ties together everything that's happened here these priests he sent back and his need to get rid of Ahithophel's counsel and God brings it all together for David by sending Hushai back to the city and it in verse 27 we have all this this tension of Absalom's um, conspiracy starting in Hebron and then David fleeing Jerusalem but sending people back and it's all brought together in this line Hushai David's friend came into the city just as Absalom was entering and now you just wonder like what is going to happen Absalom looks like he's had a successful coup but David has prayerfully and humbly planted people to be on mission for David in the city still and that there's all this tension and all this trouble and who knows what's going to happen next and that's where our chapter ends and so we're going to have to wait till next week to see how God unfolds this. But what a mess and what tension. Um, how horrible all this stuff. But God wanting to focus this story on David's almost soul being renewed in faith as he comes to the Lord, comes to the top of the Mount of Olives where Jesus was praying, uh, where Jesus hung out when he was doing his work, where Jesus prayed. I think this is where the Garden of Gethsemane was. I could be wrong. But the Mount of Olives, where Jesus' home base was, and as David comes to the top of it, that's where God meets David in his humiliation and in his humility and begins to turn the tide by sending Hushai back into the city. So, great chapter, lots going on there. Um, a mess, but a mess under the hand of God. And you know what? For me today, I think I need to, to remember this, that no matter how bad the mess gets, it really is under the sovereign hand of God. He's working out his promises. 
his promises to Jesus and his promises to us. He's working out his plans to unite all things together in Christ. And as we prayerfully and humbly uh, make our requests known to God, he is with his people to deliver them. And that is a hopeful thing. Amen.